this is Waris Hussain, and you're listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. Yeah? Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 493 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where even the sweetest candies sometimes add a little salt to heighten the flavor. I'm Jay. I'm Julie. I'm Kier. And I'm Haley. This week, the nostalgic buildup to the fall specials has Doctor Who fans worldwide thinking about iconic moments that endeared them to the program. Not surprisingly, though, for all those moments that are exciting and inspiring, just as many are heart-wracking and emotional. Despite the fact that Doctor Who is an action-adventure science fiction series, particularly in the modern era, the stories have recognized the need for a rounded entertainment experience. We can gasp, cheer, shout, and even laugh, but being the humans that we are, those scenes that hit us most emotionally leave a profound and lasting impact. So, not to really be gluttons for punishment, but rather as a way of appreciating the sadder moments for how indelible they are, we're going to share ones that resonate with us personally, for one reason or another. You obviously have ones that come to mind already, and we may touch on them. But if we don't, we want to hear from you, so be sure to share your thoughts online with us and other GPR listeners. Now, let's pull some bandages off. The first one that came to mind for me, it, there are so many things that stick out when you first think, like, how has this uh, this program made me cry? But the one that always comes to mind first is Donna Noble's losing her memories. Oh, I can't, I can't go back. Don't make me go back. Don't stop. Please. Please don't make me go back. Donna. Donna Noble, I am so sorry. But we had the best of times. The best. Goodbye. No, 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 please. Please, no, no, no! The the arc that she goes on through the her run as the companion was so fantastic. And to see that taken away and not to mention like the emotion when she recognizes because she has the doctor's memories, like she knows what's coming and she knows it like her recognizing that is just heartbreaking. I sat and watched it again right before we started recording just to like try and refresh my memory on these things. And Man, that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he's crying right now. I, I've been so I've been thinking all day about what my list would be, and I didn't have to rewatch it because I started replaying that scene in my memory. 
And what I remember is that you see David Tennant's face first, and you don't know why this is bad, but you know it's bad by seeing his face. Mm-hmm. It's true. They they both have that talent because there's they both have the ability to take either um, uh, emoted expressions or single single word phrases and put something behind them that carries a lot more to it. You know, you, you sort of bookend this with uh, with turn left, right? And there's the this point where where Donna's kind of realizing everything that's going on. And Catherine Tate has this ability to be able to take – she has one line where she just says, please. And she's just pleading. And there's so much carrying behind that that it's it, it's it's gut-wrenching. But it this – this choice in particular, Jay, particularly relevant, obviously, because it's one of these things that I think to a certain degree, RTD heard the the backlash that she take that he had taken that says, if you made one mistake in this program, it was robbing Donna of this, you know, and maybe he said, OK, well, maybe I'll get to revisit it someday. And then here we go. Now we get to see, you know, the, the what if or whatever. But I yeah, I why not go back to it one more time and make it hurt more? <laughs> <laughs> that transitions right into my immediate thought, which is the last few minutes from the end of time where Tennant is ending his first run. We also know. <laughs> come to learn. did we know. And just seeing him visit each of his companions and watch them and then just the the slight rain i think i had this as a gif on a background whenever i got sad for a while just to kind of sit in that moment of just like yep that's that is (laughs) the moment it is the most sad for me emo desktop there you go but also because he built such great relationships during his tenure that you can do that you have to earn that ability wilfred it's my honor. Better be quick. Three, two, one. It kind of became a, a joke at one point of like, you know, how do you make a Whovian cry with just five words? I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That set a precedent. I mean, it's, it almost becomes one of these things where a modern doctor's exit has to be gut-wrenching. Has to be. Yeah. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can't just say, well, that was fun. That doesn't carry the, the same gravity. I'd say Jody's might have lifted just a bit because it was hopeful, but that's indicative of who she was, who thirteen yeah, that was. was. Her whole thing, yeah, yeah, it's, it's never going to be never going to be beaten down like that. So even on the handoff, it's okay. Instead of a oh, it's a tag, yeah. you know. But that's um, when I thought about ones that really kind of knocked the legs out from a viewer's perspective. Uh, I was originally going to go. With and this is just because of my personal endearment towards uh, Bill Potts, 
was in the pilot where 12 goes and gathers this box of photographs for her so that she can have permanent memories of her mother. And I thought, God, that was... Uh, I remember openly crying when I was watching the sequence because Mackie carries it so, so well. But then I realized as I was going through and, and, and researching those sequences that there's one better, I guess if better is a usable term, one more painful, one worse, better worse. And it's actually not from an episode that I'm particularly fond of. I don't think none of us were really, really fond of that trifecta of the monks of Veritas. So when you got to the lie of the land, this was like the this was the culmination of the whole thing. When the monks had had infiltrated society and they had turned everything over and there were pyramids all over, the mind control and all this stuff, and Bill taps herself into the 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 hive mind of the monks that are broadcasting all of this propaganda to alter the thoughts of of humans across the planet, and she just pours in memories of her mother. And floods the system with it, you know. And and twelve does one of these things where he goes, "Oh, Bill Potts's mum, you've just gone viral." All those years you kept her alive inside you, an isolated subroutine in a living mind, perfect, untouchable. She's a window on the world without the monks. Absolutely loved, absolutely trusted. That window is opening everywhere. A glimpse of freedom. But a glimpse is all you need. The lie is breaking. Bill's mom, you just went viral. The going through those memories and getting these sequences of young Bill sitting across from her mom and her mom is wearing the the denim jacket that Bill now wears and and the way Mackie carries it and she's holding on to the the skull of this disgusting monk thing and crying her eyes out and pouring such emotion into it. It's it's devastating. Absolutely devastating. And and it came at me at a in an episode where I was kind of angry with the way a lot of it was turning out i didn't like the the sequence of of the 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 climax and solution to it i was thinking ah this is really uh, this wasn't the kind of journey that i thought this thing was going to be individual performances are great and then all of a sudden this scene comes up and i wasn't prepared for it i was like i was on my my angry horse at the time and then i got smashed in the face with this thing and it just laid me out you went from your angry horse to your crying horse i did (laughs) i did totally different horse but I think a lot of that rests on not so much necessarily the writing so much as it really was the individual performance and Pearl Mackey mm. just killing it. Yeah, she really did. Slay. Slay. Bringing it back to 10, looks like most of this first round is from his run. Um, mine was the first departure between Rose and 10 where, you know, he leaves her crying on the beach and he's in the TARDIS almost professing his love for her before the line gets cut between the two of them. I love you. <laughs> Quite right. And I suppose if it's my last chance to say it. Rose Tyler. 
I think that was the first time that the show broke our hearts in the modern run with the separation mm. of the Doctor and the Companion. Well, in that in that respect, yeah, yeah, in I that mean, particular in way, run. that was the first time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There were some strong emotional beats, but yeah, yeah, as far as really, really hitting you between that one and the two of them on either side of the wall. Uh, yeah, but this one was so final. Yeah, and I, I think to Haley's point, this is the first time that I remember this show, and and I kind of did a double take at it, like you're gonna make me feel this way. <laughs> and has continued to do so since but yeah. yeah well and it was kind of the first time that we lost a character too like we had nine regenerating into ten in the previous series but for the modern audience that had no classic experience this is the first time we had to say goodbye to a character so the audience had that their own grief that they had to process through Rose's loss as well yeah mm-hmm. so the the next one I had was uh this one actually comes from Eleven's run, and it really didn't – the first time I saw it, it didn't hit hard. But after going back and revisiting some things, when the doctor calls to say – you know, to, to talk to the brigadier and learns about his passing. Hello. Doctor, I'm so sorry. We didn't know how to contact you. I'm afraid Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart passed away a few months ago. Doctor? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, he was very peaceful. Talked a lot about you, if that's any comfort. Always made us pour an extra brandy, in case you came round one of these days. Doctor, what's wrong? Nothing, nothing. Just... Going back and watching that now just absolutely wrecks me because it, it, it comes at a moment when the, you know, the doctor is like, no, I, I rule the laws of time. Like I, I can do whatever I want. I can. And just that one phone call completely breaks him. And he's like, I have to get this under control, you know, and it's you can see the Matt Smith's face in that just sells the emotion that that, you know, the doctor would feel in that moment. And using that as uh as an additional nod to classic fans mm-hmm. who realized that it was you know we had we had a, a little bit of involvement from Nicholas Courtney in the modern era in in a very small regard uh, what we had just you know, witnessed for our our Sarah Jane rewatch but not being able to 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 utilize that fuller uh, into the modern era was was that loss, and this was a an opportunity for the entire fan base, in a sense, to say goodbye. So yeah, really tough. Thanks, Jay. Jerk. <laughs> I mean, even the modern audience, I think that didn't necessarily know who the character was. Like you could tell by the way the scene was framed and the why by the way that Smith reacted. Like what was happening, how important this was. Yeah, that probably sent. Tens of thousands of fans to to Wikipedia's everywhere to try and figure out what the what that was all referring to. I'll carry up on some of that Lethbridge Stewart love. One of the moments that kind of caught me off of off guard for the reason for it is in Twice Upon a Time at the very end, where we've 
we've been on this journey up and down through that whole episode and then at the very end you get the the name drop and i remember doing a double take tears started to do that slow roll where they just sort of leak out and then going back and really putting the weight into it watching the whole episode again and realizing what that meant for the history of that family Perhaps you could look in on them from time to time. We should be delighted. Uh, what's the name? Lethbridge Stewart. Captain Archibald Hamish Lethbridge Stewart. I shall make it my business. You can trust him on that. Thank you so much. I believe I am now ready. I think in particular, what makes that more powerful i i i maybe telegraphed it a little bit but it's something where that having having peter capaldi as the one who gets to actually see that having 12 be that one there's something about his persona that makes you really really wish that he had had the screen time with the brig that we had been able to see a, a moment between the two of them. And, and, and it's because I, I refuse, don't, don't even dare tell me that, well, they did have it in the cyber brig. I don't want that. That's not, that doesn't help me. Um, but there, but, and, and then especially knowing Peter as an actor and how he would revel in the opportunity as such a fan to be able to share the 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 framing of a of a screen with Nicholas Courtney would have been absolutely incredible. So this is something that that just gives that little closure or sort of brings it around full circle so that you feel comfortable stepping back and saying, well, he, he was there in a sense. Yeah. I um I I want to step back for a second to to 10 because you missed that round. I will. I, I I didn't put these really necessarily in any sort of order, but I kind of did, um, because it was just in the way that they came to mind first. I figure, I, it, it, not necessarily gravity, but it's just a matter of what immediately springs off the off the stack. Um, and there's uh there's that you you talk about like the look of ten and rows on either side of the wall sort of thing, and people love making you know. Uh, references to that split screen thing mm. when i think of that kind of uh, of sequence of of shots i go to what i refer to as the last look in the library you took me to derillium to see the singing towers what a light that was the towers sang and you cried you wouldn't tell me why but i suppose you knew it was time my time. Time to come to the library. You even gave me your screwdriver. That should have been a clue. There's nothing you can do. You can let me do this! If you die here, it'll mean I've never met you. Time can be rewritten. Not those times. Not one line. Don't you dare. It's okay. It's okay. It's not over for you. You'll see me again. You've got all of that to come. You and me. Space. You watch us run. 
10 is is straight out offering you know i've i have the capability i i can go back and i can i can make the changes i can make this right and because he's just starting to get some sort of understanding of who this woman is and why she understands so much more than he does and what an anomaly but what an important anomaly she is and he's scrambling to try and come up with a solution and she cuts the legs out from under him so that whole sequence about don't you change anything don't you change one line of our story is just shattering because she's got it all figured out she's had that entire walk and he's coming into this from the wrong side of the book uh, literally and <laughs> and it's just it, it's just brilliant brilliant writing and it just it, it lays me out every time i just thinking about the sequence and just the his confusion countered by her sense of no this has to be is such a fascinating juxtaposition of of emotions and and shared grief but grief with this extra factor to it that just leaves you helpless. Well, not only the the writing that was fantastic there, but Alex Kingston as well, just completely selling that emotion with no like I'm like, I don't know anything about you. I don't know anything about anything that's happened, but I also don't want him to change anything because I can tell the effect that it's having. Right. Well, I guess I'll bookend our experience of River's story by taking us to the other end as we experienced it. Um, which is in The Husbands of River Song, where we have that scene where River doesn't know that it's the doctor that's there, and she's explaining how the doctor doesn't love her. Like, yes, she may love the doctor, but the doctor doesn't love her, and realizing she got almost to the end of the story that we know, and that's what she felt right before going to the library. I mean, right before being relative, given that we don't know what that last night together how long that was but Mm -hmm. just experiencing the emotion that she was experiencing right up until till the reveal there's always loophole you wait until the last minute and then you spring it on me every night is the last night for something every christmas is last christmas you will you wait until i've given up hope all will be lost and you'll do that smug little smile and then you'll save the day you always do no i don't not always Times end, River, because they have to. Because there's no such thing as happy ever after. It's just a lie we tell ourselves because the truth is so hard. No, Doctor. You're wrong. Happy ever after doesn't mean forever. It just means time. Little time. That's not the sort of thing you could ever understand, is it? Hmm. What do you think of the towers? I love them. And why are you ignoring them? They're ignoring me. But then you can't expect a monolith to love you back. No, you can't. They've been there for millions of years through storms and floods and wars and time. Nobody really understands where the music comes from. It's probably something to do with the precise positions, the distance between both towers. Even the locals aren't sure. All anyone will ever tell you is that when the wind stands fair and the night is perfect, when you least expect it, but always when you need it the most, 
interesses so. There's nothing better for invested fans than a long game callback. And one done like this, where you've watched this, you know, these divergent paths uh, of their relationship, and then getting the, the ticking off every box, the gift of the Sonic, the, you know, you standing there in your new suit, the, all those things for that night on Derillium is just such a fan gift. But even aside from that, the conversations I've had with folks who, who weren't really paying attention much to it the first time around and just thought, oh, you know, that's a touching story when they went through 10's era and then 11, okay, Rose, interesting character, got it, or she's coming, oh, she's, oh, that's cool, you know, she's pretty badass and so forth. You get into 12 and then all of a sudden they, they get that payoff. And I, this, th- that on its own could have been a beautiful story, but knowing that it had so much more to it is just mwah. agreed. Well, the, uh, the last one that I've got for the list here and that I, I'm noticing a trend in mine and, uh, the losing of companions and friends and stuff, <laughs> uh, the other one, Jay, that- you feeling all right? You feeling all right? <laughs> no, you made us do this. The other one that really stuck out with me. <laughs> Uh, Clara's exit in Face mm. the Raven. You stay here. In the end, everybody does this alone. Clara. This is as brave as I know how to be. <laughs> I know it's going to hurt you, but please be a little proud of me. moment of her arguing with the doctor beforehand being you know trying to get him to be okay with it and then going out and you know standing in the street and those those last lines of like let me be brave and the the silent scream i think the fact that we did not get to hear her scream just heightened that the the agony so much because you can see it you can you know what is going on but you don't get to hear that pain coming from her. And it, it just, oh, every time I see it, it just, it breaks me again. And I try not to remember that Moffat ruined it two episodes later. Yeah. I, we've said, I don't know how many times so that should have been her exit because it was so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good that you mentioned the, the, the going silent. That's a, that's a, uh, not necessarily a trope, but that's a convention that's used so often in uh, scenes of, of high intensity and drama to, I mean, it's a, oh, you see it, in, I'm going to completely jump genres, but you see it in anime all the time where mm-hmm. things are fight sequences, everything's crazy, 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 and and and, the, and everything's flashing and the color is intense and all of a sudden it goes, it goes to monochrome, silence, slow motion because a, a death blow has just been struck and having that sensory deprivation or, or limitation after something that you saw coming and it makes you linger in it. Um, and lets your imagination fill in all of the aspects that you really don't want to think about, but it forces you to. Yeah. is a really, really powerful tool. So well executed for sure. I'll say my last one is something that is more of a historical take. One of those put yourself in someone else's shoes. I 
think back on this one and the emotion of this moment just overwhelms me every single time, both for the happy and the sad of it. In Vincent and the Doctor, when Vincent is brought back by Amy and the Doctor to see his art in the future and hears from one of the docents his legacy and what that means to people nowadays. Glad to be of help. You were nice about my tie. Yes, and today is another cracker, if I may say so. But I just wondered, between you and me, in a uh, hundred words, where do you think Van Gogh rates in the history of art? Well, um, big question. Um, but to me, Van Gogh is the finest painter of the world. Certainly the most popular, great painter of all time. The most beloved. His command of color, the most magnificent. He transformed the pain of his tormented life into ecstatic beauty. Pain is easy to portray, but to use your passion and pain to portray the ecstasy and joy and magnificence of our world, no one had ever done it before. Perhaps no one ever will again. To my mind, that strange wild man who roamed the fields of Provence was not only the world's greatest artist but also one of the greatest men who ever lived and just to think about what that would mean if that could be a reality and and how that is so touching for him and everyone else and and also just seeing Tony cry too like, <laughs> That man has some expressive tear ducts. Yes. <laughs> so that that's one that I can play it and sit in it, or I can hear a wisp of that music too, and just it just takes you right back to that moment when you get to realize that is happening. And I I will say on top of that though the uh, the reality of like even being there and hearing the the docent talk about that and. And recognizing the weight that his stuff had on everything and still the story turning out the same was a, a, a decent nod to like mental illness doesn't play by the rules. You know, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. recognizing that it you can't just tell someone it's going to be OK and then it'd be like I appreciated the fact that you got that moment and you got to feel his joy in it. But recognizing that it he was still tormented. I think one of the reasons why that sequence is particularly um, important for me is even aside from the the impact of the scene and the and the the gravity of the of the entire episode. The I've met a, a large number of people uh, over the over the course of some work that I've done in the last few years that involved. Um, doing a lot of work alongside in partnership with an organization called To Write Love on Her Arms that is specifically targeted towards uh, training individuals to be um, uh, support staff and uh, hotline workers and people there to be able to take the call so there's always someone to talk to at that moment when you need to be reminded that you matter. Um, whether it's um, suicidal ideologies or thoughts of self-harm um, in any capacity. And the, the, the need, the reminder that there's never a wrong time to just be present. You don't have to constantly badger someone for eh, checking in on you or things of that sort, but just 
just a kind of the, the power of a statement like, you know, I'll see you tomorrow is is really, really important. And hearing a lot of people's personal accounts of how this story in particular resonates with them for that very reason, from being on either side of those conversations, uh, plural conversations, um, is, is particularly poignant and impactful. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why this is a story that we've said, I don't know how many times, you could just hand this to someone out of the cold say you don't you don't need to know anything about doctor who just watch this you'll figure it out in the end i have done that mm -hmm. yeah plus it doesn't hurt that we got to go see where they filmed it yeah that's true <laughs> that's true um cried while we were there too so don't worry it carries through <laughs> i uh rounded out my set with one from the classic era and and it was specifically one that you know it, it comes on early on um but it's one that not just the the nature of what's happening within the sequence but the the monologue that comes along with it because it's it's that powerful and it's the point in the dalek invasion of earth when susan realizes that she's been locked out of the tardis um, and that her grandfather is telling her that it's telling, you know she has a, an opportunity to be able to go off and pursue a life of her own outside of the dangers and things that, that he feels responsible for putting her through. Um, and that it doesn't mean that that he's denying her necessarily so much as it is a, uh, a push out of the nest in a way. During all the years I've been taking care of you, you and the town have been taking care of me. Grandfather, I belong with you. Not any longer, Susan. You're still my grandchild and always will be. But now, you're a woman too. I want you to belong somewhere, to have roots of your own. With David, you'll be able to find those roots and live normally like any woman should do. Believe me, my dear, your future lies with David and not with a silly old buffer like me. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. But he has that lovely sequence about, you know, we'll go on with our lives with no tears, no regrets. And then the calling, you know, one day, uh, uh, perhaps I'll come back. And of course, we've been hanging on that line for 60 years about when you're going to go back for Susan. But, you know, it's, it's there's, we there's still have still three. time. <laughs> yeah, there, there's three specials coming up this year. You know, you see what happens. But that's uh, that was the, the classic era didn't always go in for a lot of those particular moments. Um, uh, companion exits were always a little up or down, as we've been seeing. You know, some are a little bit more emotionally invested than others. You know, uh, Dodo gets kind of dumped out the door, but Sarah Jane has her plant and she kind of walks back to try to resume her life. Those are all over the place. But this was one where, I mean, that's flesh and blood. That's your granddaughter. And she's banging on the TARDIS door that he has, in his words, double-locked to keep her out because she probably had one way to get through a single set of locks being a time lord herself but she is gallifreyan <laughs> yeah but uh but yeah that's uh it's it's just a, a, a sobering reminder of the fact the doctor has had to make the hard calls for some time so so just running out the last of our farewell tearjerkers on this list of sadness that we've put together for you all um was amy saying goodbye to Eleven and River 
in The Angels Take Manhattan. You know, another one of those where not necessarily an episode that everybody reveres, but that particular scene of her saying goodbye and really cementing once and for all, Rory is the one that she loves and she's going to be with forever. And she loves River and she loves the doctor and she's going to miss them as she gets, says goodbye to go join Rory. Amy, what are you doing? That gravestone, Rory's, there's room for one more name, isn't there? What are you talking about? Back away from the angel, come back to the TARDIS, we'll figure something out. The angel, would it send me back to the same time to him? I don't know, nobody knows. But it's my best shot, yeah? No! Doctor, shut up, yes, yes it is! Amy, well, I just have to blink, right? No! It'll be fine, I know it will, I'll, I'll, I'll be with him, like I should be. Me and Rory together. Stop it! Just, just stop it! You look after him, and you be a good girl, and you look after him. You are creating fixed time. I will never be able to see you again. I'll be fine. Stop with him. Amy, please, just come back into the TARDIS. You had that triangle, and it worked very well for being able to get emotional balance uh, among the three of them, whether you were going for, for extreme joy because you always were able to sort of riff off the three of them or whether you were going for the heartstrings because you could always kind of play that as well. But yeah, that, that episode being what it is, it still, it still had the opportunity and it, it painted it an inch thick. I mean, you, you got put through the ringer for the two of them over, you know, repeatedly within that sequence, you mm. know, from the fall to the, to the seven, to the tombstones and like really, really like, let's just twist and twist and twist and twist. You got to get all the tears out before the end. Right. Yeah. But I, it's just, as we said at the beginning, it's a, it's a testament to the show to know that it can safely take viewers through that journey. And give them all of that in, as, as Jay said, it's a sci-fi series. You know, we're supposed to be able to watch this with the family and have a have a romp. But we get invested. And when you get invested with people, you see them at their best and at their worst. And it hurts at times. But you you bear that um, because it's worth it. And they're worth it. Well, I mean, having a, a show that that gives you this kind of emotion is is what makes it enjoyable to watch. You know, it's you can't have the highs without the lows. Hey, I'll, I'll take them. I'll take them. Every every mm-hmm. single time, I'll take them. Because that's, that's what we remember. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. I'll bet people can probably quote the, the heartbreaking sequences probably three times over. They can they can quote some of the, you know, happy, you know, silly exchanges between characters. But Well, I'd say you get the jokes at the top and then the most emotional moments and then everything else just kind of falls down They'll below paraphrase there. the jokes. They'll they, paraphrase might, they might not get the jokes, words right. They'll get true. the words right on the exit lines and the ones that are, you know, oof. Well, that's because there's YouTube videos of all the departure scenes that make us sad. So people can watch them over and over again if they're feeling too happy to really bring them down. Stitch them all together. Well, 
Sad also, track. misery love co- loves company. So yeah. on those moments where you're just like you've had enough of a work day and you're like, you know what? I just need to cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can go yeah. find that. Yeah. Cathartic. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of group therapy. So, you know, if if there's anything that you feel like we missed in this list, I mean, this is just the stuff that really resonates for us. Let us know what it is that like really sticks out in your mind when when you first think about it. Let's all cry together. <laughs> we'll be back in five. <laughs> we've been handed a bunch of stuff from not only from the latest doctor who magazine but just the 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 media arm and the the social media channels for bbc doctor who are are cranking up stuff with regularity um and i think specifically when you read there's always a, a page in the dwm that are that's from the showrunners you know he, he gets he gets to write a page every month and it's interesting it's it's sometimes it's an insight into his creative process and sometimes it's him kind of explaining why things are happening at the particular order that they're happening and he said something this past month um about it being a matter of really being careful how he's uh metering out the information and it's kind of as we've been saying you know he's a he knows how to sell a product keep giving them something but never give them too much right um, he had a, a particular phrase for it and i can't remember the term he was using for how he sort of um uh keeps a, a fringe on it or something of that sort that you can always feel the texture without really knowing too much about the fabric kind of that that sort of analogy um uh, he said it better than i did but that's because he gets paid to write words and stuff um but some of the stuff we've got this time around is strange it's um this is this is meant to keep us interested because we're confused and i'm in for that that's the kind of stuff i enjoy so seeing 14 and ruby uh decked out in late 60s kind of mod gear go-go boots and and a pinstripe tight double-breasted suit a a really sweet looking suit on shooty so fitted with the fro and the sideburns like perfectly Mm -hmm. manicured sideburns and like they just had to look down and now you gotta know why because when you have all the time in the world you can take as much as you want to get ready for this next event (sighs) okay i just i want to know did did costuming help with that or was the the hair and the sideburns and stuff just shooty being absolutely perfect? He just showed up one day and they're like, <laughs> right. oh, I guess we're doing this now. I have a new theme for this episode. If anyone could go from uh, a, a close cropped haircut to just the next day, just poof, two inches of hair and, 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 and big mutton choppy sideburn and he could do it. He could just like sit there and will it into being overnight. <laughs> he just, he's just that that good looking he's that dedicated his, his whole is. entire body is made for but this even job down to like knowing on the pose like when you're wearing a suit that's just that fits you just that well and he stands there against the brick wall and he does the thing where he's just messing with his cufflinks that look i want to know why it is they're going to be specifically in the 60s um if this has something to do with maybe doing a little i'm not supposed to cross my own timeline thing Maybe they're just going to a fancy dress party. We don't know. Fancy dress party. Fancy dress. That would be the nice thing. Everybody plans for this historical piece and they're just, yeah. It's an anchorman watch party. Isn't the toy maker a thing 
Celestial Toymaker. Yeah, that was that and, was that was the sixties. Yeah, for and sure. that I feel like some of the scenes we've seen have shown a little bit more of that. Like could very well have been thematic sure. type of dress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if anybody could sort of pull you out of your your current existence or put you in a kind of a bubble bubble universe uh, for for that sort of thing, yeah. Well, Celestial Toymaker could be involved with that for sure. Um, in keeping with the confusion, uh, within the last couple of days of, of us recording right now, um, the social media channels put out this little 10-second blip thing. Not even a teaser. I don't know what it, what it was. Like this little bump that had a bunch of static and crossed images and back-masked dialogue and all this. Um, Jay, have you watched this thing yet? Not yet, no. Okay. We're going to pause for like five seconds. I want you to watch it because it's it's a, it's a thing. So there, we, we've we've all seen it now. Um, it, it, watching it as it is, very confusing. You know, a visor comes down over a, a military figure. There's a Venus flytrap. There's a static and a and a Vodafone lock screen. <laughs> Whatever for what that's worth. Didn't take long for somebody to realize. Oh, that's backmasking. I should just turn this whole audio around and then all this stuff comes out yeah and and a fly comes back out the trap oh yeah oh yeah a venus fly yeah. trap uh, spits up a fly at the end so. well is that the but answer yeah. to the question that's asked in the video because that's what comes right after the question <laughs> yeah flies well yeah so you've got this 14, doctor was spit say, back out of a venus fly trap that's what happened oh mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Well, 14 doesn't like things that are cryptic they say in a cryptic message. Um, and Donna Noble saying something about uh, this face again. So, I mean, nothing groundbreaking, but it's just, just no. why do this thing? Because why not? Yeah, I don't know. Well, here's the last piece of this. Um, and I, I don't I don't necessarily call this spoilery because we kind of know a lot of things, not like the pieces that are going to be involved in the special. But overlaid on a lot of these sequences are these uh, are binary, all, all these zeros and ones in various uh, strings. And somebody immediately went and wrote them all down because nerds um, and and put them back in and said, oh, these are grouped to, to be alpha alphanumeric characters. Put them back in and they get a, a bunch of sequences, uh, probably ASCII, and they get um, <laughs> buried within the gobbledygook is the name of the issue where Beep the Meep first appeared in the comics. It's meta. I like it. Yeah. It's just layers. You know, it just shows that this time around, surprisingly enough, you've got a marketing team who really knows how to play with things and yep. still give you something that you can sink your teeth into without just saying, I don't know what that was. What is Time Lord Victorious? What What is... Why am I buying all of these comic books <laughs> um, but I, it's just enjoyable and uh and it goes along with the fact that um this is not mentioned in the new sequences but i just want everybody to think about this if you're planning on going to san diego comic-con i have a feeling there's going to be doctor who representation there this year hasn't been officially announced or anything but i think uh russell said that um it's like sitting on his radar because it, it's part of his wanting to make sure that the the greater fan base continues to have things that they can um, chatter about and 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 parse and take apart, like these little clue bits that they give us online for no reason other than just to 
make us, you know, it's do almost, research and look up binary and stuff. It's almost like he's trying to make sure that the fan base is kept connected to the show, even in the off season, which is what what a wild concept. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know that that really works no, long term. Uh, once you're in, you're in. It's like riding a bike, right? You'll never walk away from a show. Nobody's ever walked away from Doctor Who. And also that we like puzzles and toys, and if you keep giving us these things, we we will play with them. Mm. Yeah. Nah, it'll never work. Anyway, speaking of comics, um, we mentioned Time Lord Victorious, but we, and we weren't really sure how that was going to, what that was going to tee up for this Doomsday. Not Doomsday. We already talked about Doomsday this episode, but Doomsday, the day belonging to Doom, uh, which is this whole assassin on the run. Only the doctor can save the the most feared assassin in the universe. Um, and it's going to be involved in, in games, uh, web content, comic books, and so on and so on and so on, big finish and so on. We do know that in the comic series, uh, one of the people that's going to be hunting down Doom is Missy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't really need to say anything more. That's done. Nope. I mean, the only. I wish other they did audio books I mean, I mean, for comic books. Right. The only <laughs> other thing they could do to make me more interested is to also have River involved somehow. Well, uh, yeah, they. I guess they could, because if you're if you're calling out the big guns to try and go after this assassin, uh, River's pretty formidable. But I would say, and especially if this is someone that says that only the doctor can can be the one to to protect them from whatever fate they have coming for them, that you've you've got a a dovetail opportunity. So sure, why not? Go write it, Haley. Oh yeah, me good with the writing. Get, get on that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, the the uh, cover art is already out. It looks amazing. And just Missy's face all over all these monitors staring down doom so that's fantastic the big thing this week that has everybody um excited and and discussing the the greater parameters is the fact that it's been announced that uh we have our composer for the specials and it looks like for series 14 as well anybody we've heard of murphy murphy brown no uh Silver, Jerry Silver, Jerry Silver, yeah, Duke Silver, <laughs> yeah, Murray that's Gold. Mur oh, that's him. That, that guy. <laughs> Murray Gold is coming back for the specials, and uh, has it been confirmed that he's in for series fourteen, or just according to the? So I was reading through. There's about a six-page uh, interview uh, in DWM this month with him, and one of the things he mentions is that he had been working on the specials. Uh, he had been given the scripts for the three of them, and he had written, uh, at the time of the interview, he had already written the scores for specials one and three, which I believe will mean that it will contain the first strains of whatever f uh, 15's um, new theme is going to be, because he loves writing themes for for his his key characters. Um, and he hasn't he hadn't looked at the second special yet. He's like, he hadn't even looked at it for whatever reason. Well, would you just look at it? I, he won't just look at it. Just look at it. Um, but he said he also had a pile of scripts from the next series that had been handed to him already. So in all likelihood, he'll be continuing through until further notice kind of thing. Or, or you know, I don't know if it's going to be a matter of a, a gradual handoff or something. But it starts this whole conversation about 
you kind of, I feel like I'm of, of two minds. I, I really, we, we love Gold's work. It's it's so memorable. It's so iconic, and nobody knows how to how to drive a scene um, like he does. Sort of the you know the the unseen actor in there that's that's adding so much emotion and and uh, and impetus to to the sequences. But at the same time, you think, God, but uh, the, I thought the whole idea of what Russell was saying this time around is it's not the Doctor who you knew. I'm doing all these new things. I've got a head I, full of ideas. I don't necessarily think that he won't have learned a few things since the last time he's been on the show. And I would be hopeful because he's so passionate about it that I would be willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, I'll listen and, and then make a judgment call. And I, I won't judge it before even having the chance to let him back in the room. I liked having a new sound, you know, I mean, after having Murray gold for so long, it was, it was kind of nice to have something different just for a change of pace. But I mean, it's Murray gold is to doctor who like what John Williams is to pretty much everything else. You, know, <laughs> you, you think star Wars and you think about John Williams music. You can't think about Jurassic park without John Williams famous songs. You know, Murray gold was kind of like that. You know, you, you instantly start thinking of, you know, the, the I am the doctor theme and all the different stuff that he put into it where uh, wasn't that way recently with with Jodie Whittaker's run. It was more themes and motifs and it wasn't specific music that you like latched on to. So I, I kind of understand why you know, RTD wants to get back to like that. Grab the audience, bring them back in. Murray Gold is a great way of doing that because it sounds sure. familiar. Right. That's why I wonder if it's going to be something where it's not necessarily a um, a resident position, mm -hmm. but something where he might actually start working in collaborative efforts with up and coming uh, composers and artists uh, on on a sort of a um, mentorship sort of thing, uh, like like the like the co writing premise. You know, you've got your showrunner who is your chief story editor, and they're in there for for steering corrections and adjustments. But you're giving uh, fledgling um, writers and developers and creators an opportunity to to test some new ground. So that could work. I just don't know. I mean, they've been working together, Golden and Davis together for 25 years on projects of, of varying scales, um, and all the way up through it's a sin which was just two years ago. I got a job. You got a job. <laughs> <laughs> as long as I'm in here, you're in here too, mate. Um, so yeah, I, I, I get it. Uh, I, I get it from a business perspective. I get it from a, uh, from a um, keeping the, uh, keeping the fans uh, salivating um, perspective. I, I would like to go back to soundtracks. I like to just put on to listen to because <laughs> I, we haven't had that in a while to Jay's point. So yeah. I, I'd like to, have that ability to have those recognizable threads that play throughout and, and to want to listen to it. Yeah. Ooh, one last little thing I'll throw in here. Um, there is uh, every suspicion now as a result of something that Murray had said. I don't know if he said it in this interview or something that he started saying on. He, he's not very big on social media. He doesn't really appear out there. But when he starts giving an interview out and with these news, like everybody was sort of badgering him for, for a handful of questions. Kind of like a, a an impromptu press junket, um, but when he started talking again about it, somebody hit him with the eternal question: "Where is the series ten 
soundtrack. And he said, I don't know why it's not out there. I, I have all of the recordings. I have all of the masters right here. I want to make it happen. So if it's not already finally happening some eight years later, <laughs> seven, eight years later now, um, we're finally going to get our Series 10, which is great because that has all of Bill's themes in it. Uh, thank you. Thank you. been waiting on this. In two weeks when we come back, we will be uh, revisiting our classic rewatch with the the twin dilemma. So we're finally jumping into the Six Doctors era. Who's that? <laughs> we're going to convince Haley that he actually exists. New Doctor yes. Who is. Right. I have seen Colin Baker at I don't know how many cons. This will be my first time seeing him in an episode as the Doctor. <laughs> Good old Sixie. A young Sixie. Young Sixie. <laughs> right. Good old young Sixie. <laughs> Well, this has been episode 493 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next time, this is Jay saying, I'm going to go get a pint of ice cream and ugly cry. I'll be back. <laughs> this is Gary saying, onions, we got onions. We got eyes all full of onions. Onions. This is Julie saying, I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> and this is Haley saying, thanks, Kier, for making me think about sad Doctor Who episodes all day. You're welcome. We'll see you next time. I'm Lizzie. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Jacob Hansen. Gallifrey Public Radio is copyright 2023. We'll see you next time.